with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to Phronesis, wherever you are in the world, practical wisdom for leaders. Today, I have Funta Borifas, and she is the founder and CEO of the award-winning Shanja Dati a waste collection and recycling social enterprise dedicated to transforming the waste in her environment to value and creating jobs, and Quidru, a fintech startup providing access to working capital for Nigeria small, medium enterprises, especially women-owned SMEs. Prior to starting Shanja Dati, she spent three years as a senior aide to Nigeria's Honorable Minister of Power, converting investments, finance, and donor relations And before that, 17 years gaining global financial strategy and project improvement experience, 12 of which were as a GE executive in the U.S., where she was a vice president working in the largest GE Capital Americas business. She graduated with a master's degree in financial management from Pace University and has a bachelor's degree in accounting and finance from Northeastern University in Boston. You are hitting all of the hot spots here in the States. I love it. She is a founding member and vice president of the Recycling Association of Nigeria, founder of Initiative for the Advancement of Waste Management in Africa, a fellow of the Waste Management Society of Nigeria, and an alumni of several prestigious local and international programs and sits on several boards. She has been recognized in 2021 by GlobalCitizen.org as one of 11 change-making Africans that the world needs to know about. Recognized by CNBC Rising Woman Africa series, one of 31 African women leaders in 2021 
and winner of the 2021 We Empower UN SDG Challenge. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Funta. We really, really appreciate your time today. And I am so excited to hear your story. What else do listeners need to know about you before we start? Thank you so much, Scott, for just the opportunity and the platform to be able to share my story. Um, I'm super excited to be here. So thank you once more. Who's Funto? So I'm a passionate African woman who believes that one person can actually change the trajectory of a lot of people's lives. I am emphatic about making sure that even people at the bottom of the economic pyramid um, get an opportunity to sort of, you know, rise up. And, you know, I believe that everybody has dignity and pride. And so a lot of people are not looking for handouts. They're looking for a hand up. I'm an aunt. I'm a sister, a daughter to, uh, to awesome parents, a sister to three older, um, two, two brothers, uh, well, three brothers, two older and one younger, and a good friend to all my friends that um, I, I talk about. And I think I, I would like to also believe that I'm a good boss as well to my 200 plus um, employees that work for me. So I think that's me in a, in a nutshell. So talk a little bit about your origin story of being interested in the space of waste and recycling, because obviously you're doing incredible work. You're helping the world be a better place, both from the actual work that you're doing, but then obviously providing economic opportunities for 200 plus people in the organization and elsewhere, I would imagine. Tell us your origin story about how you got into this space. Thank you so much. Um, So I actually worked, like you mentioned in my bio, I schooled and worked in the in, in the U.S. for actually a long time, oh, close to 20 years. But there was always this pull to come back home to, um, to Nigeria, to, to Africa, and just, you know, give my own quarter. For me, it was very, it was key that, you know, if I ever came back to the continent and if I ever came back to Nigeria, that I would create a platform where people could, number one, either get jobs or how to earn a living of some sort, right? And where they could sort of regain that dignity. The other thing that always struck me when I came back to Nigeria was the fact that we had a lot of waste. Um, you know, you're coming from a place like the U.S. where you have a bin, you know, in most places. And, you know, you know, there's certain days where they come and pick up your recyclable waste and certain days where they come and pick up your, your regular home waste. And it's come a place where a lot of people just mix their stuff together. You know, there are no bins a lot of times. People have to come up with their own collection infrastructure of sorts. And at the end of the day, they end up messing up the streets. And it was just a huge shock for me and my system. And I had the opportunity, like I was mentioned in my bio, to work for the then Minister of Power. And we had a lot of um, investors coming in to say, oh, we want you guys have a lot of waste. Can we do waste to power? Mm. Uh, You know, by the time they looked at the waste that we were collecting, because everybody was just mixing up their waste together. The, it wasn't sorted and the calorific value of the waste that they needed was not exactly what what was what we had. So a lot of them went back to their country disappointed. And I was like, how do we solve this? How do we, you know, get to the bottom of this issue, right? And so that was sort of one of the reasons that birthed the idea of, of Chandidati. The other was, I had a story which was very, even till now I remember, of a woman who was in a horrible relationship with her husband. And the man was actually, unfortunately, molesting the oldest daughter. And she couldn't leave because she had no education. She had no money. And she had four other mouths to feed. And she was like, what's to say that if I leave the scenario that I'm not going to, my, you know, my circumstances are going to be worse off. And so she stayed. And so one of the things that I always said was, you know, in terms of job creation, especially for women and girls, I want to be able to create a platform where even if you don't have any education, you don't have any capital to start a business, and you're willing to pick waste even on the street and maybe even then earn enough to be able to save enough to be able to start something or, or learn a trade or something. And so those were the two things that sort of brought together this whole idea of 
started starting chanting the tea. And changing the tea just means change dirt in Hausa, you know, because we're transforming waste to wealth, but we're also using it as a, as a platform to be able to empower people. I love that phrasing, transforming waste to wealth. Tell me a couple stories of some individuals that you have seen in the process, maybe move from waste to wealth in the process of working with you. Are there young women who have benefited from opportunity because of their association with you? Oh, I have, I have a lot. So I'm excited about this. So one of them, uh, you know, a mix, mixed bag, one of the um, creative um, solutions that we've come up with is something called cash for trash. Okay. And basically you get, you know, you bring your recyclable waste and you get paid for it. One of the things we quickly realized was that a lot of people at the economic bottom of the economic pyramid, like a lot of women in the rural areas and even a lot of these waste pickers, right, who are for the side of the country that I'm in are mainly men or young boys don't have bank accounts because, you know, they don't have the initial cash outlet to even go and open a bank account. Some of them don't, sometimes don't even have addresses, right, to be able to give the bank that I live in so, so close because most of them live on the dorm site. We started this program where we were um, locating cash hubs, cash for trash hubs around the city. You can open a bank account with your waste. You know, we, we partner with a big uh, bank. And so you can just take your waste and then they'll open a bank for um, a bank account for you. And you should just see them. I mean, there's this particular lady called Mama Aisha who had never, she's probably in her late 40s. She's never, ever had a bank account. You know, she's dependent on, you know, her husband or son to give her money. And all of a sudden, she's able to gather, you know, bottles in her environment, take it to this place. They open the bank account. You should see the smile on her face the first time she got her ATM card. She was, it was like from air to air. You yes. know, now she had financial independence. She has her own ATM. So it's no longer something that you aspire to, like you see other people have um, financial freedom. And so, you know, each time I remember that, I remember Mama Aisha, I, I always, there's a smile on my face. And you know what? Not only that, but she brought other people. She was, she started buying, she would be sort of like the, mini um, CEO. And we did a competition um, when we first started where we said, okay, the person who um, gets the most, right, would, you know, get like a standing fan and maybe a bag of rice or whatever. She was the one who actually won because she brought in the most amount of recyclable waste that she gathered from other women. And she's still a supplier of ours till today. Um, And her life has changed. So that's just one example. The other example that I would say is that we also have an um, initiative called Bottles for Books. Okay. And basically, this is that unfortunately, there's over 13 million children in Nigeria that are out of school. And I, I suspect that those numbers are even higher post-COVID. When you ask them, why are you not in school? Bakudi, bakudi in Hausa just means no money. Um, and so we wanted to do something uh, that would transform people's lives, right? So, and one story that, again, one young lady that I met, this was a few months back, 21-year-old, already married, had a few issues with her husband, left her husband. She went back and she's now in, I would say, like the second grade, the equivalent of the second grade in Nigeria because she wants an education. She's 21 years old, but she was like, this is the only way that I'm going to better myself. This is the only way that can I, I can have a better future. And she's someone that we've said, okay, we're going to support through the end. But because we were able to accept the payment of school fees with waste, it gave her the opportunity to be able to, to, be able to access education that would probably not have been open to her before. And then the third story I would share is about one of my, my male members, my male staff members, who for the longest time was a tenant, right? So he was, um, he was where he was living, he was actually paying somebody to live in their own house. So he started his own place, but he just never got enough funds to be able to finish it. And he's been working with me now for a long time. So it didn't happen immediately, I have to say. But I think within like year three or four, he was able to 
at least finish his own house to the extent where he now has moved his family into his own place. So he's no longer has to pay rent to anybody. And he is so excited because now he's his own landlord, right? He owns his own house, which would never have happened if he wasn't working. And so these are just very distinct stories of women, children, or young ladies and men who have benefited from our platform. And there are thousands of other stories like that um, that we have, that we've been able to impact people. So to talk about, I, I just, I, I'm fascinated by kind of the process of developing the vision. You you see a couple things that need improvement, right? We, we see the waste on the streets. We see the, the poverty in certain instances and the lack of ability for young women to have options and choices. And talk about the process of you clarifying the vision of what it would eventually become. I find that fascinating. I just do. Because you probably walked in with a mindset of, Okay, this can be fixed. We can make a bit. We can make it better. How did you land where you landed, or was there a lot of trial and error? Was there a lot of learning in the in the initial in the beginning? I should say. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think passion passion started the whole process. I, I knew that I couldn't rely on the government to solve some of the issues I was seeing around me. I also knew that you know it wasn't a simple case of copy and paste from what I'd seen in the U.S because people's, the needs are so different, right? So it wasn't just as simple of, oh, I've seen it in the US, let me just bring it over here. One of the things that allowed me to be able to come up with some of these innovative solutions that would impact, again, people at the bottom line and the bottom of the pyramid was just immersing myself with them, right? And not just feeling like I was better or you know higher than them. And once you start to relate with um, these people that I'm talking about, right, who are hard workers, they have high aspirations for themselves as well, but because, unfortunately, of, you know, a stroke of fate, luck, or whatever you would call it, they were born in the circumstances they were, were born into. But when you interact with them and you say, like, all these young girls are talking about these children that are smart kids, right? They have the local sense. They don't, might not have the book sense, but they have the local sense. And they, they've had to grow up a lot quicker and faster than their mates, you know, in other parts of the world because of just, you know, the, the environment that they've grown in. But so for me, it was, you know, Number one, just immersing myself in the environment that they're in. You know, I, yesterday I was still at a dump site. You know, I was telling, I was taking somebody, you just get ready because the smell, the stench, the slides, everything, just get ready, right? Just, you know, but when you go there, you, you, you have to be empathetic, right? Towards what you see. And you start to think, look, for me, I tell people, I've been very fortunate in my life, you know, Nigerian as well, but had the opportunity to go and school in the US, work with G for 12 years, came back as an A for a minister, by any stretch of the imagination, you know, I've been very blessed, right? Uh, but to whom much is given, much is expected, right? And I've been very, very fortunate. So for me, it's how do I then take what I've been given and sort of, sort of support the people who, again, they don't need a handout from anybody. I mean, they don't need a, they just need a hand up. Yep. And how do we create that hand up for them? And so for me, it was, you know, again, like I said, immersing myself, but also sort of understanding what was needed when we talk about poverty, no hunger, quality education, or using waste which is the core focus of what we're doing as sort of like the way to sort of get the solutions started and, um, and sustainable. As this organization has grown, as you've been building, talk about what you've learned about yourself as a leader, because, you know, if, if you are in a GE, <laughs> that's a very different context, right? And yeah. so talk about what you've learned about yourself over the years as you lead. So I'm just going to mention three quick things. The first thing I would say is, I don't know that I knew how strong I was ah. until I started 
you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I knew the strength that I had within me because, you know, especially running a business on in Nigeria, you know, I, I was on a session earlier on and someone was like, you have to be mad. You have to really have lost your, your senses, right. To want to be an entrepreneur in Nigeria. You, you just, because there's so many challenges that come your way that you need to sort of try and solve on the fly. Um, even if you have the best plans, you know, you have the best budgeting and projections and everything, things could just change that could scuttle all that. So for me, the first thing is tenacity, grit. You need to just not allow circumstances that you see around you to sort of sway you. And then I think for me, it's also, you know, I mentioned gratitude and empathy, right? For me, those things work hand in hand because I've been very fortunate. I can't, anything I say will not deviate from that. All the opportunities I've been given has to sort of bear out where I leave a form of legacy. And I also say this, I, I also, I think for me, it became more pronounced um, in 2017. I had a near-death experience from a medical issue. And I came out of it saying, what happens if I am, what will my legacy be if I'm dead and gone, right? And so I came back with this renewed sense of, okay, how do I impact as many lives as possible? Right? I said more than three things. But the final thing I will say is not, not fully giving up on yourself. I listened to someone a while back say, you know, the best advice he ever heard or got from his father, you know, a lot of people will tell you, don't bite more than you can chew. But his father was like, bite more than you can chew, but chew vigorously. And yeah. I took that and I also ran with that. And I'm telling you, some of the swings and the risks that I've taken, even though they're, you know, they, they, they might seem crazy to other people, um, have sort of paid out long-term and for me. So even like when I moved back to Nigeria, like even my parents were like, you're going to go into, after I started changing the thing, they were like, you're going to go into waste. And you're going to, with all this education and all this, and I had to say, look, I'm passionate about this. You know, we need to do better in terms of our waste management. I just, this is what I, I feel like I need to be doing. And I think seven years down the line, I think they see, you know, they're very proud of the progress we've made. They're very proud of, you know, the impact we're making every day. So I think I'm glad that I'm able to prove them right. So again, I mentioned so many things, but greet, empathy and gratitude, stick to it, to not giving up, tenacity, and just wanting to understand what your legacy is, is if anything happens, right? So I think it's a combination of all those things that makes me the person and the leader that I am today. I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Would you tell a story or two about some of the risks where maybe you got that feeling in your stomach where, where you said, oh, I don't know, this might be more than we can chew, but we're going to go for it. Can you talk about some of those moments that mattered along the way where we kind of put it on the line and it ended up paying out. So in 2018, um, we started, I started changing that in 2015. And then by 2018, we sort of had an idea. We were supplying some Chinese companies in within Nigeria, right, with our, our plastic waste. Um, and we had a good relationship with them and, and whatnot. Unfortunately, that was the time, 2018 was a time where, uh, 2017, 2018 was a time where China banned all the export of waste into their country. So this Chinese, um, they, they had a group of them that, had formed this place and they were, I think they were probably my largest clients that I used to supply them and they were looking for someone to buy it. And I was like, and you know, one of my director of operations was like, we should do, we should go for it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Where am I going to number one get the funds? What am I going to get? Are we ready for this? And it was like, we need to do this. Like we need to, you know, we've, we've, we've proven the concept. We, we can do this. And so that, 2018 was the time where we made an offer to them. They accepted our offer. We took over their lease for their warehouse. We bought all their equipment and we started. And oh my God, I think in my stomach, my stomach was in knots for months 
Because the only thing I could think about was how are we going to pay back the money that we collected? <laughs> but we, we borrowed from, we didn't even borrow from a bank. We borrowed from friends and families. But I was like, how am I going to pay this money back? Have I not just beaten more that kind of, this was really, you know, this was 2018. And I had just heard that message, right? I think it was because I heard that message that I really went for it. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This is crazy. Am I stupid? What am I doing? <laughs> not only were we able to increase the tonnage, then we were doing probably 50 tons uh, um, a month. And then we're able to then go and ramp up to like 200 tons a month that we were collecting. We're able to hire more people. You know, of the 200 plus people that I said we hire, 120 of them are women who are just our waste selectors and processors. And we've been able to add value to their lives. So that singular action of saying yes, saying yes to the moment and to other opportunity, even though it was, it was bigger than anything we had ever done, sort of led me to that point and it paid off big time. Um, another one was, you know, a situation where I had a, a contract with an, a big industrialist in Nigeria. And I, I had the opportunity to meet him and I was like, oh, I want to sell, you know, pet bottles to you before your factory. And, and he said, he gave me the go ahead. And he even, you know, he said, oh, I need X amount. Go get it. Right. I said, I think he said, I need 600 tons. So I came back to Abuja from the east, southeast where he was based. And I went gung-ho and started buying because based on the promise, one thing I didn't do, which again, and for me, it was a teachable moment. Right. So I went for it was that I didn't get a signed contract. Oof. So for me, it was a chill moment. And so we had done all the work, everything was, and then it was time now to get, you know, to move the goods to him. And he pulls a, I don't need the materials anymore because my Chinese partner that needs it has gone back to China. And so I was really literally left with all this work. I'd overpaid for the materials and everything. It was a tough moment. It was a moment where, you know, honestly, Chandler Dutton would either have died or have continued, but I stuck with it. You know, and the, the idea of, okay, I've definitely this one time around, I've definitely beaten more than I can chew. But now plan B, where do I sell these materials to? I lost a lot of money. So I started asking myself and, and questioning whether or not this was. So, I, so I, I, I'm giving you two scenarios of, you know, one instance where it definitely paid off in spades. This was with mixed results, right? Because even though in the immediate thing, I didn't, it didn't get me the result that I wanted. But you know what? Long term, because I didn't give up, you understand what I mean? Because I didn't give up, it sort of paid out in spades for us. And the good thing is that some of the people that I met during that period that I was buying materials from and, you know, sourcing materials from have become some of my biggest partners now where, where you know, they, they supply me now because I have a bigger space. I definitely beat more than I can too. Like I said, the short term, it didn't pay out, but longer term, it definitely paid out in spades. And then the other thing that I learned that I will never forget is always have a signed document, always have a signed <laughs> agreement or contract. I don't care who you are, even if you're the, you know, whoever signed contract. So again, that's one of the ways that it's also paid out. So I've never had to deal with that again since then. Would you share just a little bit about gender? Have you noticed any difference because you are a female entrepreneur? Is there anything that you've experienced that you've found interesting or has the community been incredibly supportive? Because you're not only building a business and you're not only helping the world, but you are an entrepreneur. And those two examples that you just shared are incredible because again, you're problem solving all day long and there's no easy answers. And we're probably going at times with our best guests but I had a guest on recently and she said, she's in Pakistan, she's a physician. And she said, you know, there's just so many okay. myths, yeah. so many myths to fight. And what has your experience been as a female entrepreneur? You know, it's tough, especially Pakistan, places like Africa, where it's very um, patriarchal. It is very tough as a woman entrepreneur because there's still a lot of 
people who feel like you should just stay at home and be popping out babies, right? Mm. And also the part of Nigeria that I am based is on the northern part where it's because of also the the overlay of religion, you know, that also sort of plays a role in how we, female entrepreneurs are accepted or, you know, the way that, you know, they, they're viewed. And so for me, you know, I've, I've always been, even when I was in the States, I was people that, you know, I've always had to work doubly hard or extra hard. I've always had to go above and beyond a thousand times because even in the U.S., I was a triple minority. Not only was I a woman, I was, you know, an African woman who my name, you couldn't really pronounce my name. So I had to like break a lot of stereotypes. And so for me, I feel like I'm still doing that, unfortunately, even in my own country, but from a different, now it's a gender issue, right? And so one of the things that I've just tried to do and make sure that I do well is let the results speak for itself. Yeah. Because regardless of what you do, when you see results, you can't argue with results. That plus not taking no for an answer, right? And just making sure that everything you do is at a level of integrity. I think those three things have, you know, stood well the test of time for me where, you know, we've been able to prove results, right? And so when people are talking about Chandra Dessie, I was I was on a panel maybe two, two days ago. And, you know, I felt bad because there were three of us on the panel and all the questions came towards me and everybody kept on saying, no, we know about Chandra Dessie. We've heard and all the questions were addressed towards me and they wanted me to answer the questions, right? But for me, it was validation again that the work we've been doing for the last seven years is sort of now bearing, you know, I always tell people that when I started, there weren't a lot of people like me, you also have to understand that I'm also in the waste sector, which a lot of people feel like it should be a man's. A man. <laughs> so, like, what are you? What, what are you doing? You know, waste. You're, you're dealing with all this crap, all this. You know, so for them, it's really should be men doing all this dirty work, right? So, yeah. not only am I a woman, but I'm doing. You know, this is mainly a male-dominated field, and now you come in and you have this exposure in the U.S. You know, so why in God's name would you want to come back and do something so dirty, right? So I'm having to break down a lot of barriers and a lot of mindsets and thinking. And, and the only way I can do that, honestly, is, again, like I said, by the results that I produce. And I'm excited to say that, you know, the journey has been so great now that there are more women. Anytime I have the opportunity to talk, I'm like, I'm encouraging all the young women. Get into this space. We need more women to break down those barriers and break down those stereotypes. I need you. I need more of you. Because honestly, I know disrespect to you, Scott. But we women, as we were extra special and we, you know, we, we really are, we're special. And if we could just get more of us in a space, I think we would change the trajectory of a lot of things that we're seeing in the world today, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, it's because I think I'm a woman as well that I, there's this empathic side to me. For me, it's not just about the bottom line, right? I always tell people it's about, the, for me, it's about the three P's plus P, which is the people, profit, planet, and then partnerships. And I think I'm able to do that a lot more because I'm a woman. I feel that if it were just a man, some men feel it's just a profit. Anything else goes out the window. And I'm like, no, no, no. There's a people aspect to it, right? There's a planet aspect to it. There's a partnership aspect to it, right? And so the myth also that women don't collaborate together, I feel is hogwash. Some of the biggest people that I've been able to collaborate with are women. And I want to do more of that. So I do a lot of mentorship with young people coming up, especially women coming up. You know, the sky is big enough for everybody. Just come in. Just do it. Don't wait for a perfect scenario. Just do it. And so, so those are the things for me that are, you know, um, coming to me. So, so yeah, gender, especially on the African continent, right, could be an issue, has been an issue. But my results, I make sure that my results speak for themselves. I will quickly just say that the other fintech that I you mentioned, Quidro, that I started, right, was because of this whole gender thing as well. I was running Changedet, which is a, you know, like a brick and mortar business, right? 
And I would go to the bank and I would say, oh, I just need a bridge loan, you know, because I have to buy raw materials while I'm expecting payment. A lot of women don't inherit, they don't inherit assets because it's, it's like I said, you the father to the son, to the grandson. And even when you get married, right? A lot of women don't buy property by themselves. When they buy property, they're buying it with Mr. and Mrs. X. Yeah. So a lot of women don't own just collateral by themselves. So when a bank tells you, go bring collateral, you know, if your husband or your father or your brother doesn't sign off on it, it means you can't access that loan, right? So that's one of the reasons why I started Pritchard, to be able to assist, especially women, in accessing, sending their invoices to be able to um, get funding for their businesses, right? So again, the question you asked now, as I'm answering, definitely there's a tint of uh, overlay of gender in a lot of things that I do. But again, I'm, I'm always excited to be able to break the stereotypes. I'm always excited to be able to um, let people know that, you know, a woman is can do better sometimes than even men. You know, I feel like, you know, I'm not there yet, but we're getting there. There's a growth mindset. I'm not there yet, but we're getting there. And, and, and not taking no for an answer and letting the results speak for themselves and just going. And it's not going to be perfect and there's not going to be any perfect time. And there's going to be a number of different challenges. But regardless of the challenge, I'm confident you will uh, navigate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. Well, I often, as we kind of wind down our time, I often will ask listeners what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're streaming, what are you consuming that keeps your mind occupied? Crime shows oh. on TV. <laughs> you know, that allows me to sort of distress, right? But, you know, honestly, I, you know, each time and I haven't read a, a, a big book in a long time because I just don't have the time. Right. But I'd like to read like articles. You know, you could a lot of times I'll maybe read something from Business Insider. So I just take things bite size um, and just sort of either read or um, sometimes listen. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't say that I, you know, I've read a, a big book in a long time. The one lady that I just stumbled upon recently that I was, you know, I, I love listening to her is a lady called uh, Mel Robbins. And I'm always just gendered when I listen to her um, um, YouTube videos. That's the other thing I sometimes do. I, li- I like listening. If, if, there's this, if someone recommends like a TEDx talk um, around leadership, I might, you know, just go listen and um, hear what they have to say. Well, I, I have so much respect for the work that you're doing and uh, you're making the world a better place and you are providing opportunities for others and as you said, it's not a handout, it's a hand up. If the world were filled with individuals like you doing that work each and every day, uh, what an incredible place it would be. And so I, I just want to say thank you for the work that you do and the tenacity that you bring to that work and the vision that you bring to that work. It's inspiring. It's incredibly inspiring. So I hope you go to bed at night uh, and maybe not every night, but I hope you feel I hope you feel proud of what you're what you're accomplishing. And, and as you said, we, we might not be there yet, but I'm confident you'll get there. <laughs> thank you so much, Scott. And I have to say thank you so much. I mean, it's individuals like yourself, right, that create a platform to allow us to be able to tell our stories, especially from, you know, the part of the world that I've been where, you know, sometimes we don't even know what we're doing. So super grateful, super thankful. And if there's any way that I can ever give back or whatever, I'm always, I I believe in win-win scenarios. Please let me know. Um, And um, I would love to, love to do that. So again, thank you so much for the platform. You know what? Much respect, much respect. 
I hope you have a wonderful summer. Again, thank you. It's awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. When I started the podcast, I knew that I wanted to speak with all kinds of people. And I kind of consistently hear some of that feedback from you as viewers that you enjoy the variety, the stories, the locations, the individuals, their work, their research. And this is another wonderful example of a person in the world who's making it a better place, who's dedicated her life to helping others to helping her community, and ultimately helping our world. I have incredible respect. I just do. Because the work is not easy. The work itself is not easy. But then the work is not easy, as she shared with us a little bit in the podcast. But she persists, and her results speak for themselves. She's making a difference and helping our communities be better. And for me, that's leadership. It's a great example of leadership. As always, thank you for checking in. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy these stories that feature leaders in the world, around the world, making a difference, please reach out, let me know, and provide that feedback and share it with others. If you teach a course, these are incredible case studies And if you are an individual thinking about how you can make a difference in the world, these are incredible case studies. Be well, everyone. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn. So let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.